Antivert Cullum and Dracula then goed back to their gum room and take machine guns and lasers and things and put them to their bags. But there was not no time no more to think because the zombie used her hand full load Edward. 48 minutes of dogs barking. 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 Growl. That's a lot of zombies, said Doctor Who. You sure you have an extra sense of being Goku? <laughs> the senzu bean john hendren did a bit on the senzu bean recently or maybe it wasn't even all that recently but like uh, I, think, I feel like john hendren's like riffed on a lot of different things there's yeah i was gonna say there's a there's an infinite number of things that john hendren has riffed on he is uh he's a special man living in australia of all places is that right yeah he's been there for like a couple years um, wow. i guess the whole guy fieri eat the eggs thing <laughs> That wasn't Guy Fury. That was the guy from uh, Smash Mouth. Well, but Guy Fury was a part of it. Well, you don't remember the part of the, I guess, some of the embarrassment that people perceived that that he might have gone through was that Guy Fury made the eggs that the Smash Mouth guy ate. No. And uh, apparently they were a little spicy. Oh, my God. You know, I'm not going to make fun of people for uh, not having... Why not? the stones for spicy food but i can understand if you're a guy that doesn't eat a lot of spicy food and all of a sudden throws a big you know fancy bowl of <laughs> of of like you know chilied omelets or a chilied omelet in front of you like you might be like oh shit <laughs> yeah no i get that but there's just like I, I unlike me who puts hot sauce on spaghetti yeah my <laughs> me me my daughter we're we're both like we're both hot sauce heads it's pretty it's pretty oh, awful yeah, dude, like, you should see the fridge inside when you when you when you head out i'm going to i'm going to walk you through my chuhoy collection and all the little uh, sauces that we picked up in mexico and all oh, the oh hell yeah stuff. yeah hell like yeah. just no, Chime was the big one. That that one still to this day I can't do it. Like, when just... uh when we get our PO box open and we start <laughs> soliciting all two hundred of our listeners for stuff, uh, yeah. if you want to be on my good side, you or both of our good sides, yeah, I suppose. Send us just weird regional hot sauce. Yeah, I don't oh, care yeah. if you live in the North Pacific Northwest and you want to send us some uh, secret Arvark. I will gladly take some secret Arvark. I haven't had that since I was out there in Seattle in uh, ooh, 2013. We flew standby to Seattle, which it was fine until you got to Chicago. And then from Chicago to Seattle, we were there for like 26 hours waiting to go on standby. It was the stupidest goddamn thing. We were about to start getting on the plane going back. And we're like, okay, I guess it's, you know, it's August. It's Seattle. Yeah. We're going to go. We're going to fly standby back home. We were the 12 hours. And then we said, Fuck it, and we bought another non-standby ticket. Um, it was it was the worst. Do not fly standby if you can avoid it. Yeah, standby is like for people that like say things like, "I'm not a tourist, I'm a traveler." <laughs> we got these tickets through a friend of ours whose husband is an airline pilot, mm. 
And so it, I, I don't think it was even standby. I think it was like friends and family raid or something, which was even like worse than standby. Well, I was going to say, yeah, you might as well be like someone's vegan friend and like the hierarchy of things. That's kind of where, I mean, that's really, that's where it felt like I, I shook out by the end. I was like, Jesus Christ, 30 hours in O'Hare. No good. One of the longest layovers I've had recently was in the Denver airport visiting my brother in Portland. Mm. Uh, I mean, that was a couple of years ago, but it was kind of like one of those things where like, all right, I'm kind of done with this. I don't want to uh, sit at this bar talking to a bartender that has like a radio voice. At some point, I can tell he wants us to be like, so have you ever like done radio? And he's going to be like, you know, wiping on the bar. He's like, actually, in college, <laughs> well, I, had, I actually, believe it or not, I had the dance hall show for my local college radio station <laughs> just like the, the like the thing with the least demographical like coverage like you know like the fucking music they play like in rural belgium during like the harvest season has more broad appeal than like Ugh. some of those college radio shows where Eesh. it's like well if we put a glockenspiel through a bit crusher like no i'm good <laughs> there's a couple of shows on our local independent station i'll hear like the first two notes, I'm like, no, back to satellite. I'm done with this. I'm not doing this. I love music from the hills on Sundays. When I wash dishes on Sundays, that was like my favorite part of the day mm. was music from the hills. And then there was a show that played nothing but Brazilian music. Oh, so, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So that actually... Radio fucking, Rio. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That whipped ass. Sure. But that was kind of, you know, that was like 10 years ago. And that was mm -hmm. like the running joke to every single time. Right. Someone who had been doing a show there for like 10, 15 years, like uh, Scene of the Crime or mm. something like that. Maybe like Ska's The Limit was one of them. That, the like, Slip of the that was like, yeah. yeah. And like, I hate Ska music, but I will say that the individuals that did the Ska shows for our local oh, radio station. Phenomenal. Fucking yeah. killed it. They knew what they were doing for yeah, sure. Yeah. Like, I don't like Ska music, but I would be like, oh, shit. Yeah, it's like Sunday at like or Saturday at like six. Okay, yeah, I'll listen to this while I drive to the Firebird or something. Yeah. Like, I'll like hear something that's actually pretty fucking tight, like some weird second wave or yeah. fucking. Uh, oh yeah, you hear like a really really deep Honest Don's cut from like dancehall crashers, and you're like, fuck yeah, that. Yeah, works. the one guy <laughs> one time, uh, the guy picked like a subgenre of reggae music. There was like a subgenre of a subgenre that was like a bunch of people in the early '90s doing like the original like two-tone mm. and like not just mm -hmm. doing like the style and the approach but like getting the equipment oh shit and like doing like the whole like diy ethos that was associated it was, yeah it sounded amazing i don't i don't know what the fuck any of those bands were but like yeah. that was a fun 30 minute ride and i cannot say that for any scott music i've ever photographed as a music photographer <laughs> i can't just... like i think like uh less than jake gets the pass yeah oh no because they're mostly i mean they're, they're just great songwriters and they sure. can write a catchy tune you and i were talking i spent uh the last seven of ten hours that i've been awake today in the emergency room i had it was i just I felt really weird i went to go in there not having didn't have a stroke didn't have a heart attack any of that stuff uh, so you're stuck with me, sorry, but yeah, I wanted to get in on this this idea about music because boy, they said when I go to the MRI machine, I said, "What kind of music do you want in your headphones?" Because the MRI machine is fucking loud. Yeah. You're sticking your head in this a giant, giant magnet. Magnet. So I said, "Well, I don't know." Um, and I, I, the only thing I could think of was like, "Well, ambient, I guess," because I thought, "Okay, I'm going to be isolated." I'm probably going to have my eyes closed. 
I'm going to be kind of cramped in. It's going to feel like when I go do the float tanks, like when I, cause I am a, yeah. I'm a big evangelist about the float tanks. I love the float tanks. They really are real. You're uh, on some Hunter Biden <laughs> shit. <laughs> Me and Hunter, uh, Hunter X Biden was my new, uh, cause uh, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, it's, I, I said ambient, it's real soothing music in the headphones. Uh-huh. But then the rest of the machine is going for 40 fucking minutes. So it was more like you were listening to Dark Ambient. Like yeah. some dudes from like yeah. Scandinavia yeah. that wear nothing but black athleisure just, and like <laughs> just like smoke whatever the equivalent of a Pall Mall is <laughs> over there. Yeah. So Something I, with like a fisherman on it. It was like hearing an ambient set and an EDM set happening at the same time. But it was also like sticking your head in a malfunctioning inkjet printer because mm. there was one of the ones that sounded like the, the inkjet head had gotten stuck. Oh no! Like, da, 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 are you sure? Are you sure you just weren't um, stroking out in the MRI? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure they cleared me. They cleared me about 30 minutes after that. But yeah, it was just God. It was surreal. Yeah, they uh, they sat you down. They looked over your chart and they said, "Mr. Robinson, you know, I think." Oh, a second. Let me let me check some here. Have you been washing your dick? I have. I have been. I have been washing my dick. Yes, thank, thank you. I just washed so it no uh, no amoebas gotten in through your urethra and wrecked habit. Not that I know of. I mean, you know, I clean it pretty regularly, and uh, you know, it's like okay, did I, you know, am I gonna die from doo doo ass? What is the you know what is it? Oh yeah, I'm okay. You know, it's just something weird. You know, maybe like whatever I slept funny. I'm getting old. My nerves. Yeah, or well, that's what I thought too. But then it just kept happening and i'm like okay yeah. you're gonna you're gonna be I'm, I'm fucking scared when we're done with this you're gonna walk out through the backyard you're gonna take like five <laughs> steps like david carradine and kill bill part two he's <laughs> gonna keel over and this will be our last episode fucking, uh, <laughs> this will be my legacy i leave for sure, my children make sure your kids don't see me going through your wallet yeah <laughs> buddy i was just at the hospital ate shit in there <laughs> Listen, man, you ha- might have one of them Jimmy John punch cards. Yeah. Oh, he's only got two left. Yep. Score. Uh, so aside from my personal health issues, uh, but it's been a weird week on the internet, specifically on Twitter, because you know Elon Musk did the did the big buy. Uh, we we said on last week's episode this might be the last week of Twitter, which turned out not to be true, thankfully. But you know, um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna keep praying that that continues because every day that he posts is like the dumbest thing I've ever heard a person say and it just continues on. I love it. I saw someone tweeting today. I wish I wish I had saved it or mm. favorited it, but the gist of it was is that when you look at people like Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and a lot of other billionaires or near billionaires, as you see that they have like a real lack of imagination. Yeah. So Elon Musk has overpaid by probably two or threefold oh. for this this platform. Now he, it's never made money. Mm-mm. I think I discussed this in the last episode. It's never yeah. really been uh, like Netflix. Like it makes money for sure, but is it necessarily profitable in the traditional sense? Probably not. Not probably really. not that you would think. And yeah. so now, uh, you know, he's doing this thing with the blue checkies, mm-hmm. where he wants to charge you eight dollars a month to retain your blue check mark, which is weird because it's a status symbol that only other fucking weirdos would really care about paying for and like i know people that like in my personal life that on twitter have a fucking check mark they didn't ask for it it's because like they work in journalism or that they have some sort of platform where 
a sense of authenticity of what they're putting on the internet is important. What they're putting on Twitter is important that it has some level of verification. Right. Or um, that they're a trusted news source or that sure. they're some sort of authority in a field or whatnot. Yeah. yeah. I know a few people that are musicians or comedians that got a blue check mark and like they never asked for it. They just showed up one day and they're like, oh, right. okay, cool, I guess. So are you going to pay eight bucks to keep it? I don't think those. No. no. And I think that's for anyone. If they want to pay eight bucks a month, they can get a blue check mm-hmm. mark, which is interesting um, because that's going to really hurt all the people doing the shit where they make a fake social media profiles for a band that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Put like a dummy track or two on Spotify and get verification through that. And then you go and you try and hawk that account that has a blue check mark mm-hmm. for like 10 or 12 grand on like the gray market. So I bet those guys are pissed because now you can just kind of do the same thing for <laughs> for eight bucks a, a month. Right. So, but yeah, like it's it's amazing to watch Elon Musk run something else completely into the ground. This is a guy that said that there would be a man on Mars within, within 10 years. That was 10 years ago. That was so, 10 years yeah. ago. And uh, not great. No, not great. I mean, he can go to Mars. He can fuck off. You know, like that's <laughs> yeah. fine. Like, dude, if you want, like you've got the money to go see what's out there and, uh, Listen, man, I, I encourage you to just, you know what? To, hey, don't even bring an extra suit. Or mm-hmm. you think you need such such amount of oxygen? No, you're good, nah, man. You about got, half that. Yeah, half that. yeah you're, you're good. Know. You know, I hope I just hope he doesn't have any of the machines that build the Tesla cars build his <laughs> rocket. Because uh, you need airtight gaps in that yeah. machine work. <laughs> if you can fit, you know, a standard postage envelope... And between the panels of your $80,000 electric vehicle, guess what? Mm-hmm. It might not be a good car. Yeah, just uh, what a what a fucked up week. So we just had Halloween. We had our wonderful Halloween episode yeah. that, uh, that that just aired. And you uh, you were saying, like, I don't know, the way we, do, we schedule things, it's going to run after Halloween. Are people really going to be in the mood for it? Well, I saw other podcasts doing the same thing this so, week. Vindication, vindication. Okay. I was, and, I, and when you and when you came up, when you first mentioned this to me, this this worry, I said, you know what? People are still going to be a little terrified. We got midterms coming. That is up. true. That is true. Yes. And it made me. It reminded me um, that a week or two before the presidential election, twenty twenty, mm. I was working this job, and um, it was a warehouse job. And the salespeople never really came over to the warehouse, which was fucking amazing. But every once in a while, they would come over and like want to personally check an, o- an order that came in or something like that, or check inventory, make sure something's there before they promise to a customer, so on, so on. And a lot of them were like scared ass white people that like <laughs> had moved out to the the deep white flight communities of St. Louis, like Wentzville, which is just kind of the middle of fucking nowhere in yeah. some respects. And there was this one lady. Who came in and told us? Now it's mind you, it's me and two black guys. Or told us that the owner of the business wouldn't let her bring a gun to work because <laughs> she was so terrified about what was going to happen with the election that Uh-oh. she went and had bought like an expensive attack dog from Europe. And we're just kind of like, okay, okay yeah. <laughs> and and she's like, I'm going to bring the dog to work and. <clears throat> We were just like, well, okay, well, don't bring that fucking thing over here because we don't, we don't want any of that fucking mess. And so, you know, election happens, all that bullshit. And then, like, around January, I think right after January 6th, she came by. And my manager asked her, you know, hey, how's it, how's it going with that, like, a, a fancy-ass attack dog that you bought? <laughs> and she just, like, straight up told us, like, oh, I'm fucking scared shitless of it. 
I think it's, it might kill the other dog that I oh, have. No. And I'm like actually kind of afraid to sleep in my own house at night. And all three of us are just trying yeah. to keep it together. And she yeah. finally fucking leaves. And we're all just like fucking losing our yeah. shit. And just as laughter is starting to die down, I go, huh, I thought I'd never see a day when a white woman says she doesn't want to fuck her dog. No. <laughs> I got jokes, folks. I got jokes. I got jokes. <laughs> you spent all that money. Yep. <laughs> and you ain't going. You're <laughs> you ain't scared gonna, the fuck. I ain't gonna fuck it. What a waste. Well, speaking of a, a, a waste of money, no, a, um, a waste. What a waste. Um, I can't remember what the exact verbiage was, but the principle of the thing is that uh, Sean Lennon, son of uh, uh, John Lennon and, and Yoko, of course, uh-huh. uh, has been on a weird uh, Twitter journey these past couple days. Yeah, I saw some about this. Please indulge us with your knowledge. He posted October 29th, when will both based and woke join forces to abolish the cringe? Uh, to which uh, user at Dizzy Doing Great responds, do you like my shirt? And the shirt is the cover of Catcher in the Rye. And it says, wow, he's just like me. I'm going to kill John Lennon. <laughs> so... <laughs> oh, um, oh, yeah, uh, uh, and then there's you know people oh, no. re- people responding with M&Ms. the yellow Eminem is fucking Lois Griffin, Yoda's oh, no. eating pussy, um, <laughs> just so Sean Lennon has has been inundated with just like just absolute filth for this Id- idiotic take, but I think the uh, I saw him open up for Beck. It was pretty <laughs> underwhelming. Yeah. I uh, I really like I, people really seem to like that first record he did in the nineties and uh, yeah 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 I don't know I don't know what's up with that guy it seems like uh, kind of a fail son I don't know he's like a yeah. proto fail son yeah that brief dalliance with with having some indie hits in the nineties early two thousands he do some shit with Les Claypool Les Claypool he worked with Chibomato um, at eyes on the right, why are music industry fail sons so fucking weird? And, <laughs> and it's just, yeah. So that that was something that caught my eye. I was like, Sean Lennon, really? You just just wasn't he doing NFTs? Oh, of course, I mean, of course he was. Who was? Who isn't? Um, the other thing that really got me this week was that Paul Pelosi was attacked in his home by a gentleman, uh, David DePeepe. I tell you what, me and my friends would have absolutely. <laughs> Paul Pelosi with hammers. <laughs> to cut that out. Uh, <laughs> you can bleep that, <laughs> just bleep that. So the post uh, being uh, responding, by Elon responding to Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton, of course, uh, giving her condolences. But Nancy's a great woman. Da 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 da. Yeah, doing the standard thing. Yeah, yeah. what you do, the thing, the thing that you do. Uh, sure. But Elon saying there's a tiny possibility there might be more to this story than meets the eye, and linking to a piece from smobserved.com. The headline being the awful truth, Paul Pelosi was drunk again and in dispute with his gay lover, uh, alleging, of you know, course... Here's, th- here's the thing. I, if you told me that Paul Pelosi was absolutely fucking shit-faced at, like, you know, like, two in the afternoon, I bet you could get people to believe that. Yeah, sure. Uh, quarreling with his gay lover? I don't know. Mm. Nah, that's a little bit of a stretch. It's a str- I- It's only a stretch because, like... It's hack. It's also like, oh, San Francisco, they must be gay. <laughs> yeah, you know, it would be more creative is that it, the, the man that beat him with a hammer uh-huh. was the pool boy that okay, Paul see? Pelosi accused of giving Nancy, right. uh, you know, like the great Siberian itch or something, some sort of STI. 
now, his, <laughs> now he's got dick ants. <laughs> well, Elon uh, felt the heat. He uh, deleted that uh, spurious sure. accusation because, you know, that's, that, that's a thing that you do sometimes when you're kind of caught being a bullshit artist. Infamous user at CatTurd2. <laughs> Uh, it just gets it, you know. It, it, this feels like one of those moments of like being on the something awful forums and kind of watching everything fall apart. This is like this is like this is low tax with uh, Mango Steen. Yes, it's it's Mango Steen <laughs> or, 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 or Search. Yeah. So so at Cat Turd, I just noticed Elon Musk deleted his tweet about Paul Pelosi to Hillary. Never cave to the leftist mob. Never! Which is strong words from an anonymous person who posts as at CatTurd2. Another thing about believing what you read on the internet or, or about believing media, media literacy, there's a movie out called Tar. Oh, is this, is this the anti-Semitic documentary that the basketball player was talking about or is <laughs> this something i don't else? think so this was something else it's just a it's a really a great time for like wackadoos on the internet like oh, just yeah. being racist so it's a new movie called tar it's about a composer lydia tar Kate Blanchett plays the titular character. Oh, yeah, yeah it's not a movie that's not a biopic it's not a movie about a real yeah. person but film reviewers are consistently coming back and saying things like Here's the quote. When I left the theater after watching Tar for two hours and 38 minutes, I couldn't wait to see footage of the story I had just seen and was so ready for my Wikipedia deep dive to sate me on my ride home. But when I frantically typed Lydia Tar into Google as I waited for my train, I was greeted with a confusing and upsetting realization. Lydia Tar is not real. Jeez. So I think I think this is this is what happens when you have decades of prestige or Oscar bait movies mm-hmm. that all have some sort of intellectual property right attached to them. Right. That people just can't imagine that someone could independently of another media, not from a book, not from a video game, not from a comic book, mm-hmm. come up with a compelling or interesting, or at the very least a entertaining idea or concept or plot. But but Kate Blanchett has a certain aura around her performances that some I could see someone thinking that there is something deeper to this, but right. I think it's just that she's very good at what she does. Versimilitude is what they call that. Uh. Yeah. So those are the things that caught my eye this week. Another thing, of course, is our usual crypto scam of the week. You're listening to 48 Minutes of Dogs Barking, the podcast. And now it's time for the crypto scam of the week. Brian, have you heard of Monkey Drainer? Oh, geez. I feel like I've I've heard so many bad NFT projects or scams. and So what's Monkey Drainer all about? This one's new to me. I have not, have not been keeping up the crypto scene. I've been enjoying my uh, <laughs> using up my PTO from my current job before yeah. I start my new one. So I've just been kind of not not keeping up with that so much You've so been flexing uh, you, your knees and getting ready to join the dick sucking factory so um yeah you know what <laughs> they keep telling me i asked i asked uh, i asked the foreman about about the uh union dues and yeah. he says well you know maybe you could uh you know maybe if this were a union dick sucking factory you could get you know you wouldn't be paying those three dollars an hour union dues and work said, something out yeah yeah i'm like well what on the on the on the casting couch i don't know <laughs> yeah. oh, geez. Oh, geez. 
our good friend at Zach XBT, mm-hmm. well known for exposing this sort of frivolous nonsense, had posted a couple of days back. Over the past 24 hours, approximately 700 ETH, which is a million in USD, has been stolen by a phishing scammer known as Monkey Drainer. They recently surpassed 7,300 transactions from their Drainer wallet after being around for only a few months. Signing transactions, malicious phishing sites operated by Monkey Drainer, they're stealing Bored Apes, they're stealing Clonex, USDC, other NFTs worth about 150k. This is all automated. These are airdrops. These are... Uh, Just the amount of stuff that this Monkey Drainer account has been able to just siphon off of even well-known users. Yeah, it's fucking weird because, like, there's people out there that will talk about, like, yeah, I had to actually, like, change my my main wallet that I use because I just kept getting airdropped so many scam coins with fake value and fake liquidity that I was getting nervous that I would accidentally approve. Mm-hmm. Like a fake USDT instead of the real, you know, on a, a certain you know exchange or something, mm-hmm. a DeFi exchange, and like so, it is a real problem for people in the space. But as you saw, like how Seth Green got his ape stolen, yeah. So they're just doing fake airdrops. Is that their main fake airdrops and a couple of malicious sites set up mm-hmm. specifically to look like the real sites and things like, like Open that? Open Sea or Looks Rare or something. Well, I think it's. I think the main ones are going to be Looks Rare. Um, uh, looks like they had some stuff for yeah ERC seven twenty one. They had APT. They had some Clonex, Project Animus. Oh, was... so these are like they're, so they're they're doing some social engineering by like doing like. It's not just that they're doing fake airdrops, right. but they're also doing fake Twitter accounts. Yeah, they're doing fake Twitter accounts. They're doing mm. fake airdrops via Twitter, which then you click a link, and of course, that's malicious. Right. Um, they're doing all, I mean, it's and it's all the same group, at least according to Zach, that's been managed to pull all this off via Monkey. Boy, that doesn't tell you that the Monkey people really need to get their shit together. I don't know what, uh, what will, because, I mean... This one group has been able to just slurp up all this stuff from from yeah no uh, work at all. I mean, this is this is I mean, two afternoons and a it's website social engineering and yeah. all and spoofing and all that. Which take, but like generally, this is a pretty low effort scam. This isn't this isn't even like doing like a flash loan, which where you have to have an understanding of liquidity, right? And doing all kinds of stuff like there, within it, multiple blocks on a certain block. You know, all you I mean, like you know, you gotta fucking do some math for a good flash loan. <laughs> yeah. At least there you have to do something. There's there's at least yeah. a, a modicum of effort, but this just feels like it's just... Yeah, I, I was seeing... I saw something a month or so ago that was uh, on one of the main NFT platforms where people can spoof the image of an NFT. Yeah. So you think like this is like a bored ape or a squiggle or something of whatever you want to buy. You, that, and like, oh, this is actually like a pretty like, legitimate price here. And then, you know, you may still be spending like 10 eth or something like that and thinking you're getting a fucking sweetheart deal someone accidentally listed it for you know way under what they were supposed to they forgot decimal or something like that and no you just thought you got a board ape for five you know ethereum and you know actually you got like a garbage nft which is like a spoof image on it i feel like at least that has some some sort of complexity to it and if you get taken by that you're like okay well that one's on me but if you're out here just clicking on links on Twitter because it says there's an airdrop and you can claim a thousand of whatever, 
that one's yeah, yeah. i don't know like, <laughs> i feel like if you get taken by that one eh, you might have walked right into it well there was a uniswap yeah. analysis that said that like 97 percent of yeah. all uniswap projects are in some way or another a rug pull and one in one interpretation or another of that sense which I think someone did the math and was like, that means there's like less than a thousand actual, like what we could call legitimate projects. I mean, that's just one exchange. That's too, just yeah. one exchange. And someone, someone uh, I saw in the comment to this was like, I would love to see how many projects on pancake swap, which is a, the BSC equivalent. You know, I remember someone responding with, I don't think there's enough decimals to put after 99.9. <laughs> Another NFT scam that I wanted to bring to your attention. Ah, oh, jeez, Rick. Oh, jeez, Rick. We're oh, jeez. Gonna... Oh, oh, my apes are gone, Rick. Oh, Morty, man. Morty, you, you, you clicked the spoof leak, Morty. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna rug, Morty. Uh, is this where I put my seed phrase in? No, no, Morty. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Justin Roiland good uh friend of the program <laughs> <laughs> this is a guy that made a career off of doing cartoons that just to have a character goes i like to eat cum yeah. yeah so he has a he has a project that he's working on called art gobblers art gobblers look just as shitty as his cartoons do it is an ethereum project following a free mint they generated 26 million of secondary sales Courtesy of Crypto Slam. Wow, that's actually slam. Uh, impressive volume. It is. For free mint. Problem is that free mint, of course, was open only to waitlist people. Oh, so insiders and VCs and influencers. They launched 1,700 art, gobbler artwork NFTs that could be minted for free by anyone who was on an approved allow list. Another 300 were reserved for project creators and contributors and another 8,000 to be released gradually over the next 10 years. Now, that's a lot of balls to assume that this project's going to be around that long. Just to put in perspective, there are people that were early VCs on projects like Ethereum that are now mm -hmm. just having their coins unlocked. Right. They were, you know, on the ground floor, at least very early stages of having, you know, they did. They got in somewhere where they had large and long vesting periods. So back then, you probably could have said the same thing. I'm not saying that this project has the same fucking legs that ethereum does but boy yeah that is ambitious yeah will we even will we even have drinkable water in 10 years uh, not if elon has anything to say about it so that list that allow list included widely followed twitter personalities this is courtesy of our friends at decrypt.co by the way if you want to read the entire article there not just my excerpts you can find that uh, rogue radio co-founder farok sarmad Function, I believe it was F-X-N-C-T-I-O-N Function. I mm -hmm. think that's how they say that. Andrew Wang, Zeneca, and social media influencers getting the first bite of the apple is one of those things where you're really just, you're given an excuse for them to rug. Because like Function, for example, immediately flipped, sold it. He tweeted, while all your other influencers' friends are trying to explain why they sold their free mint for 15 ETH in minutes, I will tell you one thing. I got that shit and dumped it fast. Free 18K. You expect differently? Even though he tells Decrypt that he didn't promote the project, he still benefited 18K right away. As soon as he got the mint, he flipped and sold it. I expect that that's going to be the, the route going forward with Art Gobblers, at least the first 1,700 of those. And, and it's just going to... As long as we're in a bearish market, mm -hmm. as far as stocks and crypto, 
you're going to see that behavior a lot. A lot of guys that maybe they didn't fucking take profit like they were supposed to this time last year mm-hmm. and protect their capital. But they got a good Twitter following because they called something really early. They called Shiv. They called Floki. They called yeah, whatever. Safe Moon. You know, got fucking lucky, and now they got a hundred thousand fucking people following them. Yeah, every single time they get something that's free, you know, anything they get a free bag for a project, they're probably going to flip that shit, if not immediately, within probably the first twenty-four to forty-eight hours. Yeah, at Pons Eth on Twitter also. Uh, it's just kind of showing off like, okay, you know, this person, 1-800.eth, essentially saying that it's rigged and that many people think the game is rigged. Uh, people won't continue to play a game they think is rigged. Expect more folks to quit. He's not wrong. The casino is most certainly biased against the, what we would call retail, the yeah. plebs. Yeah. The average uh, lunch pail folks that are trying to get just a little bit of this action yeah, I don't see the way that this this micro economy is going. I don't see it really sustaining itself. I don't either. And there's supposed to be an, a game associated with it. So, of course, there's going to be in-game mechanics where you can earn goo and you got enough goo and you mint a gobbler and you get enough uh, dicks and then you mint a jizz If you get 10 smorgelspiels, <laughs> you can upgrade your gobbler to a gobbler X2. <laughs> and then you get to have your gobbler say like glip clop and then jack itself off let's uh <laughs> let's talk about our main topic today well it is november brian and that means yeah. that it is no nut november it is i'm already lost yeah no me too but uh no i'm i'm speaking of the other thing that happens in november the one that's mostly going to generate more nuts as we go on uh that, we're talking of course about national novel writing month uh, shortened to its abbreviated form, NaNoWriMo. NaNoWriMo, per their own website, is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that provides tools, structure, community, and encouragement to help people find their voices, achieve creative goals, and build new worlds on and off the page. Now, that is a very vague and nebulous statement. That means almost nothing. Yeah. But NaNoWriMo is a challenge. It starts on the 1st of November, it goes to the end of the month, and it is you're going to write a book. Which by by which they define as fifty thousand words, which is really more like a novella. You're not going to write a full what I would consider a novel in that time frame. You're really going to get a proof of concept, or you're really going to get a a pressy almost, or maybe the first several major chapters of a novel. Fifty thousand words for a novel is kind of light. It's sparse. It's very old timey it is it, it's it's a slim novel like what you would Was think it like of, 200 pages yeah thereabouts I mean, so it's like the like i hate to say this is my rationale of like what a like short novel is but it's like oh so it's like the length of american psycho yeah yeah american that's yeah that's that's my, american psycho kind of fits in that yeah and and i'm and i bet you brett easton ellis probably did write it in about 30 days because it feels that way when you read it but yeah so narrow rimo see it's terrible <clears throat> it's hard to say just um I think was just like a, a the fan fiction kids really just latched onto this. Oh, they glommed onto it. Yeah. Well, they I mean, glommed it like a bishy. Yeah, yeah. They just like <laughs> when listen, listen when you're when you're when you're a fa- a, a big listen when you're a big star on fan fiction Tumblr. They'll just let you glom they'll let, them. They'll let you do it. Yeah. <laughs> they'll just let you do it. They'll let you roll up on you. <laughs> 
here's what's interesting. It started in 99, which was is very, very early web, at least in my mind. Sure. Um, with f- 21 participants, meaning that, that that doesn't even mean that that's how many people finished. That means that that's how many people took the challenge and actually tried it. Mm-hmm. 21 participants in, in, in 99, and it was pretty much strictly San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, big ups to Paul Pelosi, one of the first guys to do it, but uh, <laughs> it's not true. And but Elon will pass it on as if it is. Uh, so 2000, it was moved to November. So it didn't start as November. It originally started in July. National Novel Writing Month originally was July, which is a shitty month to write a novel because in San Francisco, especially. Oh, it's beautiful. You're gonna go to the beach. Of course, yeah, you're gonna. Yeah, do you gotta go to Baker Beach and. Uh... Uh, let a stranger fuck your wife. Right. All that. Over there by the rocks. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> Ask me how I know. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm just gonna walk right past that one. No, go well, how do you know? <laughs> I just I just I just remember walking along Beach Baker Beach with my brother and he was like, Yeah, this is a pretty cool beach. And he's like, Those rocks over there they film a lot of porn over there. And I was like, Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Like they like to I guess I guess people just like uh stand around some slightly leatherly leathery woman that's like 45 and and i don't know that someone's playing like tone loke on a stereo <laughs> that's just barely getting picked up by the by the the camcorder <laughs> paul pelosi's favorite beach so <laughs> anyway. gosh you know uh if i say more libelous statements about paul pelosi just I think imagine I'm... paul pelosi just like walking down a beach in the Bay Area, just like drinking wild Irish rose straight from the bottle. Hosed off his ass at two Hosed. in the afternoon. Just like, you know, he's walking barefoot, but it's not because he's on the beach. It's because he lost those shoes quite a while ago. Got kicked off the BART, you know. Uh, God, I don't really know anything else other than Paul Pelosi other than... than uh, he drinks a lot. That's about it. Yeah. So uh, in 2000, they moved it to November, quote, to more fully take. What else did Paul Pelosi do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the organizers of NaNoWriMo moved it from July to November the following year to, quote, take advantage of the miserable weather. They then launched the website, nanorimo.org. That year, year 2000, 140 participants signed up including some international folks. That was pretty neat. Uh, They created a Yahoo group, which Yahoo groups, oh boy, that feels like a whole nother topic for a whole nother show. Um, Yeah. um, Why, why is, why is, why is my body having this discharge? (laughs) I was thinking to a Britney Spears fan group. (laughs) So eventually by 2001, they picked up a whole bunch of registrations. I think it was tapped at about 5,000. Um, of course, early blogs were getting in on it. You had news pieces in the LA Times. You had news pieces in uh, Washington Post, you know, um, but it almost crashed the website. 50,000 people is a lot of people to sign up and be active on a website at yeah. any given time if you don't scale for it. And then, in, you know, 2001, I don't think they were really ready for all that jelly. No. The following year, they made some improvements, got some back end stuff going. Got an NPR spot, which was really cool. Um, CBS Evening News, you know. And so the participant count, I'm sorry, I said 50,000. I have 5,000 in 2001 and then 14,000 in 2002. Damn, that's not bad growth. 14,000 in, in a single year is is pretty impressive. 
then they started getting stuff with like you know uh, volunteers who would assist new writers they started adding features to the site so it's really steadily grown it's still going on uh, i believe of as of let's see 2015 is the last thing that i have data on 431,000 people participated here's the thing we're really playing this straight yeah. And honest, you know, we're really going. I'm by. just giving you the facts right now because giving I'm going to dive facts. into the weird shit in a minute. <laughs> yeah, because, because that's the thing that kind of kills me because you're like, you're making this sound like this is like a really like prestigious thing. Like this is like a, a book, you know, a workshop in Iowa that then 20 years later you find out was like a COINTELPRO thing. Well, you got to give, here's, here's my theory on that. And with, with a, with a subject like this, I think you have to give some straight facts before you start diving into the weird shit. Sure. It's, it's, so, that's fair. So this is strictly, okay, this is the huge growth it saw, exponential like every year. This is like the press kit pitch. Right. And then we're going to tell you why you shouldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, because let me tell you something. Like I thought when I was younger, mm-hmm. I either wanted to be a painter mm-hmm. or I wanted to be a, uh, um, a writer. And... In all of my hubris, thinking that I would be like the the millennial version of like Samuel Beckett or Eduardo Galeano or something, I knew like oh, I can't do this shit. <laughs> like, I, like, it, with my big fat fucking ego as a youngster, I was like, I, when I first heard about this, I'm like, I'm good. Like, yep, I'm good. I'm I'm fine. The criticism, of course, started shortly after it started to become big, and this is where one of my favorite pieces. The author is still pseudonymous. Unfortunately, the uh, the, the website Crass Talk. Uh huh. Are you familiar with this kind of literary criticism? Um, just kind of a, a, sh- a shit posting for writers. The headline: Nano is ridiculous, and no one wants to read your crappy novel. They go in and they actually reference another blogger, of course, Wet Asphalt, Eric Rosenfeld. There, and it, his thing is is basically that. I'm not sure why someone scared by the time and effort involved in novel writing would instead want to put themselves through the ringer of doing a whole novel in the month. But the finish line metaphor is telling. To the NaNoWriMo people, writing a novel is like running a marathon, something difficult and strenuous that you only do so you can say you did it before you died. I shouldn't have to say this, but the attitude is repugnant and pollutes the world with volumes upon volumes of one-off novels by people who don't really care about novel writing. I cannot help but think out of all these people how many of them will ever write another word, and NaNoWriMo is nothing but oblivious to the absurdity of its own project. They seem to care more about making you feel good than about having anything remotely to do with storytelling and you'll excuse me if I find that a little bit depressing. Yeah, I can't disagree with this uh, individual's take here. I mean, essentially, what it becomes then is a race to cobble together 50,000 words in the 30-day period just to say you've done it. And it doesn't matter the quality of your work. It doesn't matter that it, anything, if you have rights to things or if you have that. So it's essentially become a very, very big hotbed of terrible fan fiction. Yeah. Which, of course, led to... One of my favorite things that would crop up yearly until about 2016. It hasn't really been taking off as recently, but as the hashtag on Twitter, hashtag NaNoWriMo openers. NaNoWriMo openers is a satirical hashtag that happens at the start of November every year. 
and it is chock full of some of the best riffs on awful fan fiction and inflated prose that you will ever read. I'm going to find a few of my favorites now, but Brian, do you have any that stick out to you? I think there was one that really stuck with me that was like, excellent, said the rapper, the shredder. Rub the mutagen on that pussy and see what it do. Hashtag NaNoWriMo or something like that. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's so many of uh, fucking DB's early tweets that could be a NaNoWriMo <sighs> opener, particularly the one about driving slowly through a sea and slapping his hand on the outside of his car door through the open window, like <laughs> looking for looking for dick or something like that. So uh, a good friend of the program, Drew Toothpaste. Uh, had this one from 2016. Wait, you forgot your lunch, I shouted to my son Bulba Human, a human Bulbasaur hybrid. Bulbasaur, added his mother. Uh, <laughs> 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 User at Pixelated Boat writes, It's not easy being a detective, thought John Dog, a detective who is possibly a dog. I haven't thought this through. <laughs> uh... Uh, Stefan Heck uh, goes by at boring as heck. 2035. Water is scarce. Cops is live, and you can vote on what the cops do. Everyone has sheathed red dicks like a dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny how much the old weird Twitter hashtag ominous events. Yeah. Uh, there's was... a real crossover between this. Of course, at Vrunt, this is actually good, he said while barfing from the mold. This Soylent has given me superpowers. <laughs> Our good friend Matt Chrisman at Cushbomb. Of course, I stepped off the train to meet my hostess. Welcome, she said, to Westworld, but for people who like to fuck cactuses. <laughs> so, just the existence of NaNoWriMo has given us such comedy gold as that. I can't find it on this list, but there's another one, and it's like, uh, you know, Geodude is real, and he's my friend, said Barack Obama. Yeah. Or something. There's, uh, you mean uh, these Chaos Emeralds? <laughs> <laughs> Obama chuckled. <laughs> the backlash online is almost funnier than the event itself, because a lot of times it's just people struggling to write, and yeah. writing is difficult. I've spent the past... 10 plus years on this sci-fi novel and I don't think I'll ever finish it because writing is is not something that's really it's really fucking hard if you can't find the right drug to help you with it not even just legal or otherwise not even just the right drug but just like okay I gotta you know I gotta sit down I gotta write I gotta write structure I gotta well not even even if you're just doing like these NaNoWriMo people do which is just blurt out a bunch of shit and try to get it done even that comes with its own set of like okay i gotta i gotta get comfortable i gotta find a space that's quiet in my home i gotta you know i gotta do all this prep work to get in a headspace where i can sit down and just let it go it's not easy to do for most people and it's doubly not easy to do for people who want to do 15 million other things like like you or i like mm-hmm. okay i want to you know what i yeah you know, i feel like playing dark souls again i'm gonna play dark souls again for yeah another, like the, if you've got add and you're unmedicated <laughs> it sounds like a terrible proposition it really does just sitting down and just cranking i mean out, you know. when i wrote record reviews for playback it was hard just to write like oh, 600,000 words on like a record i liked yeah. or it was hard to write that many words on record I thought was ridiculous dog shit, like Asher Ross asleep in the bread aisle. Sitting down to write, because I would do the same thing I wrote for a magazine called Eleven. Putting pen to paper, or you know, in, in our case, keyboard to blank document, 
it's not an easy proposition. You got to wrangle it a little bit. You got to make it sound good. You got to kind of finesse it, and it takes takes time and effort, you know. And that, and that was that was at a time when I I did have a full time job, and I did have two kids who were you know real real young and and needy. Yeah, per, and, per their per their natural uh, impulse. As, yeah, as I was it's say, not like they were it's not just. I was say, it was a lot. It's not their fault. They you know they, they were just they were just you know two or whatever. And, yeah, and just so didn't know how to work the remote yet. No, sitting down and like really finding the time and kind of does it. And that's why I uh, started being a night owl, and that's why I started doing you know radio shows that were on in, in middle of the night and all that stuff and. Just writing that much, that much output. Boy, these NaNoWriMo people, and they have, like I said, they have forums and they have these these people who, these people aren't writing books themselves, but they're acting as like Sherpas almost yeah, to try to get these writers to the finish line. But the problem is, just like I said before, there's no question about quality. There's no question about... You're looking at the word count. It's strictly word count, which is a really shitty way to do something. Mm-hmm. It's 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 gamifying it in like the wrong way possible. Well, um, I was actually listening to a Retronauts episode about Blaster Master, the old NES game. Okay, and one of the hosts on there was talking about how Sunsoft, who was the developer or publisher, they were involved in the production of the game. They had made a game that they thought was better than Mario. <laughs> but only because it had more levels uh. <laughs> and was not technically a better game. It was just technically bigger. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I mean, I feel like that's what NaNoWriMo, like, just to put that into, like, a, a different perspective of looking at it is that it's, it, yeah, it has the content, but there's no quality. Yeah. Well, hell, even modern video games. I mean, if you look at, we were talking a couple, couple episodes ago about, you know, Cyberpunk. Yeah. It's got a lot of content. But only about a third of it's good. Yeah, <laughs> but, and, uh, but when it's good, it's good. But it's still, yeah. it's like it's. What was the one? Dying Light Two. The devs made a huge deal about how it's going to be five hundred hours, and, and they released what seems to be an incredibly good game by most people's account. But like, right. I don't think it's that. Well, f- first of all, who is going to stick with a game for that long? The only game I've put anywhere near that amount of time into one would be Destiny Two. Destiny 2, because it's a time sink and requires a lot of time. Boy, yeah, that's that's a conversation, <clears throat> Destiny 2, on this podcast. But but the other one would have been uh, Dark Souls. Yeah. The series as a whole. Because every once in a while I get the itch and I go back and I play the whole series again. And that's 100 hours per game. I think the only other one that comes close is probably the Persona series. But those are oh. text-heavy RPG games. Those take a while. You know, like there's a whole story involved. Even if you skip all the cutscenes, it's still a 50-hour game. So, you know, just to put in perspective, like me, you're yeah. talking about this. I'm fairly certain last time I checked, I put like over 800 hours in the Natural Selection 2. But that was a multiplayer game. I was going to say, yeah, that's... I'm not going. I'm also not going to act like that took four or five years because it was much shorter than yeah. that. Yeah. That's what kind of has been killing me with trying to play Persona 5 is just like, I, it's not an RPG you can just sit for like and play a couple hours. It's like, you have to yeah. have your whole fucking evening open. You're like, really... This is what you're doing when you get home from work to when you go to bed. Like I said, when, when Royal first came out originally for the PS4, that was when I had, was working overnights. And so that was a lot easier for someone like me who had yeah. some of this like time that was kind of unstructured. But I get it. it. It's it's one of those things. But so like five. What I was getting at with Dying Light Two is like they advertise this like hey, we got five hundred hours of content. 
you don't have 500 hours of content. You got about 50 hours of content and then a bunch of piddly bullshit. You got radiant quests or something like that, generative. I feel like a lot of these nano rhino novels have the same problem. I got 50,000 words. Okay, but about 3,000 of them are good. You've hit an arbitrary word count. You've inflated what could have been a much shorter story or could have been a longer story, but you didn't go there with a bunch of bullshit. And that's my main problem with, with NaNoWriMo just in general. Is like you're looking at the wrong thing. Because there are short stories that are 10,000, 20,000 words long, and they're fantastic you right. know, from you know, cover to cover. And I have I can tell you I've read some like eight hundred page books that I'm I'm good. Like, yeah. like I kinda I was really hoping that there was gonna be some sort of twist or some some sort, you know, or House of Leaves. House of Leaves has a point where it completely fucking shits the bed. Interesting, because I thought House of Leaves was a phenomenal book, but that's a whole nother whether or not you uh, agree with Daniel Lewski's style or whatever he does with the with the prose there, I think he wasn't writing to hit a page count. No. He wasn't writing to, okay, I got to get X amount of you know pages. It was, he was writing, and and you've seen the book. It, it plays with text and it oh, does yeah. all sorts of weird stuff. And there's there's a whole typographic thing where it's squeezing boxes in and then creating liminal spaces within the pages itself. And da, da, da. there's all sorts of... I think there's a lot of stuff that's really neat. Right. That book but you does. wouldn't get a House of Leaves out of an NaNoWriMo. No. You would maybe get only revolutions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, ah, yeah. I didn't right. say all his work was good. I just said I like House of Leaves, okay? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it, it really feels like NaNoWriMo not just ensures that there's going to be mediocrity. It's almost as though they celebrated. Hey, you hit the finish line. Your book is done. And then you get a little thing to print out and then you're done. Nothing more needs to be done with this work that you've created. It's not no. It's not going to be contemplated. It's not going to be argued over. It it's is, not even going to be published. God, it's like you took a shit, <laughs> and it just never hit the ground. It's just hanging you there. You shit into infinity. Yeah, it's just hanging there. So, like in twenty in twenty eleven, I'll give you an example. Twenty eleven, two hundred fifty six thousand people participated. That's a quarter of a million people participated in NaNoWriMo. But of those. 93 were published, not were finished, but were published. And even that... Well, you can do Vanny publishing. I was going to say, that's not really a definitive list because at that time, Lula was a thing and you could self-publish and all that. A vanishingly small number even had any publishing, even if it's just vanity publishing. So there's this void between participation, between completion, and between having a piece of work that will stand on its own. You're creating an endless churn of content and product for free. By extension, you're then filling the coffers of this nonprofit organization whose books we've never seen to, uh, you know, further the whatever, whatever the stupid mission statement was that I read earlier. I can't even remember all of it because it was all vague buzzwords. It feels like you're snatching onto the hopes of aspiring writers. You're taking their money. And then saying, okay, you do the work. And then when they do the work, you're giving them nothing for it but some vague sense of accomplishment. It's the most hollow exercise. Yeah. That's just me being a cynic, of course. But it's also just like it feels that way. It just feels like, okay, and? Okay, you wrote a, you wrote a novel in a month. You wrote 50,000 words in a month. And now what? That's where... <laughs> well, um, where's your 
fucking novel, Jason? It's sitting on a hard drive. Who yeah. fucking care? Yeah. And how many times does uh, Goku... How many times does Goku fuck Krillin in my <laughs> book? Um, just once. Goku, would you mind f***ing me just once? What? You're asking me to f*** you? That's right. I want to feel for myself exactly how strong you've gotten. You do know that would hurt a lot, right? Goku molested Krillin with his dende. Yeah. <laughs> ever going ever going to do ever, it's just it would be it would just be it's it's a million versions of Dragon Ball Z abridged. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, it really feels like that way, especially if you look through some of these submissions. It's just like and John Sexhaver did John Sexhaver whatever, you know, <laughs> whatever it is. Turned his penis <laughs> into a noisy cricket. Yeah. You put a quarter of a million monkeys in a room with a typewriter and they're all trying to write Ready Player One. I think that's what's yeah. really good. You know, I would be I wouldn't be amazed to find out that Ready Player One was started off from an exercise it really like feels that. that way yeah i felt like ready player one was kind of like this the death of pop culture pages of lists of things from the 80s yeah that's not a novel alan watts <laughs> used to say that any thought i'm really gonna be largely paraphrasing here but any kind of thought any sort of written word or any sort of idea that is over reliant on references of other things is an empty gesture and says and does nothing and I feel like Ray Player One is the epitome of that that concept. I can't ever imagine wanting to like read that book or watch that movie. In my mind, I, I immediately, of course, reference something. So <laughs> it's a uh, Sopranos episode. A couple of characters are, hey, you remember so and so? Yeah, you remember so and so? Remember so? Oh, it's member berries. Yeah, like, yeah, like. I well, mean- Tony Soprano in that episode, he says, "Remember when is the worst form of communication?" <laughs> you know, he just. It's like, yeah, remember when. Okay, great. But does this have a point? And I think a lot of this shit, like Ready Player One or... It's or just nostalgia. But it's nostalgia for its, for its own sake. Like, yeah. say what you will about Stranger Things, at least the Duffers are trying to build something out of existing stuff. You know what I mean? They're cobbling together Stephen King and Carpenter. They're cobbling together a bunch of other things to try to create something that's at least somewhat their own. Ready Player One, on the other hand, just lists things for five pages and says, hey, remember that movie? That was a good movie. It is, it is, literally, <laughs> it is literally the extrapolation of every blog post on a website like iMockery or right. X-Entertainment in like 2000 or 2001 that was like, hey, remember Ecto Cooler? What happened to that? What is the point that you're making? There's no, yeah. So, like, for example, my, my, my kids really like the, the, the new Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yeah. And the film itself is fairly competent. But there's moments in the movie that really felt tailor-made for Tumblr and shit like that, where they're just, like, a long, lingering shot of a fucking crunch bar because one character had one in his pocket one time in 1984. Or, like, they open the glove box and a Twinkie falls out. Cool. That was a thing a guy was having as a snack in New York in the 80s. What the fuck does this have to do with the plot that we're telling right now? It has nothing to do with it. You could cut out every little callback, visual ones, to the original movie and have a better film. It's funny you said that about the Ghostbusters. I haven't seen it, but I do remember kind of picking up on more mainstream films, like some of the Marvel films and mm, some yeah. other things, and some some you know stuff that's on streaming services where you kind of felt... 
like certain scenes and certain characters or certain plot devices were set up and shot or performed in such a way for specifically for reaction gifs. Yeah. I mean, even, even like a show like the good place, which I think is really well written. It's pretty funny, but yeah, it seems like there's strictly stuff that's created for reaction gifs, but those same people that, that communicate exclusively through reaction gifs are the ones that are also like, I wrote a novel, but it's a Buffy the Vampire Slayer really thinly veiled fanfic, but they put it in NaNoWriMo, and now it's one of their published works. You know, or like Fifty Shades of Grey was, you know, was Twilight fanfic. fanfic. Yeah. yeah, so who's to say? But I think that NaNoWriMo does more harm than good to people who want to be writers. I think you should avoid it if you're a wannabe writer. There's several other ways to do it. There's, I think it's Couch to 50K is one of the programs. This, this guy just go, takes you through writing exercises. Huh. And to me, those things do much more for an aspiring writer than trying to cram an archive of our own entry into 50,000 words. I think there's better ways to do it, is what I'm getting at. Yes. So, yeah, uh, NaNoWriMo, uh, do at your own risk. It's, uh, it's a ridiculous challenge. The works that it produces are vacuous and nine times out of ten not worth a good goddamn. Um, maybe there might be one or two that eventually escape containment, but that's it's few and far between. And the mockery to be had on Twitter is is far more entertaining than the books themselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um. I feel like the well has run dry for whatever this project can really. I think we've seen its potential, right? And the potential is just kind of making fun of it. There's now because it's become almost this institution. There's all these corporate sponsors involved so you've really taken the kind of we're going to do it ourselves uh, san francisco bay scrappy writers kind of thing out of it because now you've got fucking amazon kindle direct publishing is a sponsor oh so it's one of the right yeah i'm seeing a few (laughs) storyist software uh writing master academy which of course sells you classes on how to be a writer um you know there's a service called edit my novel that sponsored them because of course why you take your fifty thousand words in 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 the NaNoWriMo project and say hey edit my novel edit my novel and then from this distance it kind of looks like it says edit my nudes (laughs) with nudes it would be a much much better product my nudes i'm like oh that's a that's a very creative name for a touch-up and they're even sponsored by of all things Barnes and Noble. It's like a conservationist uh, sponsoring, like a force clear cutting. <laughs> yeah, for a swimming pool. It really is. So it's very self serving. There's this weird like. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I just know. have this. I just have this terrible, terrible idea of like a NaNoWriMo that's just like a come town fan fiction, and most <laughs> of it's just Stav laughing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Stav laughs uproariously. Uh, Nick Nick does a racist impression of the Mario Brothers, and Stav can laughs in a Greek manner. <laughs> it's the uh, someone writing fifty thousand words around come eats in their garden. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Let's yeah. run this shit into the ground, folks. Oh, Let's oh make yeah. it happen. Oh yeah. Uh, there, there was a great uh, uh, Tumblr uh, best of NaNoWriMo. Who ran that? I feel like that was someone in the early weird Twitter days. That might have been. It could have been DB. Could have been. It could have been DB. It could have been Virgil Texas. He was doing shit like that. How's he going, by the way? Has he talked uh, to apparently him? he's uh going to be speaking soon. <laughs> he's speaking after midterms in like Iowa or Idaho or something. Ugh. Like his 
his first public appearance in probably since 2020. Mm. I hope he's getting good water. Hey, I hope he's uh, staying away from high schools. Anyway, uh... <laughs> well, he wouldn't go to. He probably wouldn't go to a lot of high schools due to the uh, concentration of lead in the drinking water. That's fair. You know what? That's it's almost like a natural immunity. Yeah, <laughs> it's a natural repellent. For guys uh, that want to be Mo Rocca. Hey, you want to get grossed out, Brian? Sure. You want to see a gross picture? Now the moment you've all been waiting for. Shock.jpg. This one uh, might might turn your stomach more than most. Now, I know in past weeks we've we've featured some stuff where... When you bring up the private... Yeah, you know it's going to be bad. So, Is this like a, something ripped from like E-Fucked or something? This was Bizarre Crew, actually. They put this uh, little gem together based on a video. Um, a, a young woman, a small goth hairstyle. Oh, wow. That's a very, like, 2003 psychology major in Seattle kind of haircut. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's got the, uh, the, the Lydia Deets and... De- in Beetlejuice uh, top there. And uh, <sighs> after eating a bunch of fruit, uh, she then pukes it into a plastic cup shaped like a skull shaped like a skull and then here comes the straw and so she is drinking her own puke and licking her lips at the end and smiling so that uh that she's is... got like some boring job oh yeah like in finance now yeah <sighs> Mochi- so... oh is this like someone uh that was like uh like a 4chan personality or something I don't know who Mochi Agogo is, but um, um, also known as Mochi Stinks. <laughs> but she was a fetish artist. I, I, I suppose still is. I haven't really caught up with her. Um, the long and short of it is, of course, as you saw, she consumed some strawberries, some bananas. Um, I'm she, really glad. I'm really glad that that's not like a five minute long video. It's really it's, it's short. It's, it's it's whoever did the editing was was real snappy. I appreciate that. We were able to condense the entire thing while we described it to you. That was the length of the video. So, so not, even, not even a minute long. Not even a minute 40 long. Seconds. Yeah, forty seconds. Yeah, she vomits into the skull shaped glass, pulls out a straw, and drinks it up. So. But there's this real happy music going on around yeah, the background. That's why that was fun. It's not too bad. It's kind of fun, you know. That's that's for when a blender is too expensive. You know, you can't afford the Vitamix. You got to. I'm, I'm amazed that <laughs> I'm amazed that's that, that's how much volume the such a petite young woman can have inside of her stomach. It really did seem like that's a like lot. A, that's like a that glass was very tall. That's probably like at tw- least 24 ounces. It's so bizarre. I think a lot of it has to do with very much like. We talked about another uh, a vomit eating uh, video in a previous episode, which was terrible meal, which was the the woman who eats the meal, throws it up, and then eats it again. Obviously, eating and drinking your own vomit is disgusting, but there's something about the music and about the smile on her face that it's almost like quaint. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no one's being hurt. There's nothing really macabre about it. It definitely no. has a little bit of that performance art tweeness to it. It's like if Amelie started doing fetish videos. I think that's the haircut and the style, you know. Oh God, man! You really—I think—I think that perfectly nails it. If I really had to, had to say, I think of like gross stuff with bodies and food. I think of the video that was on Hipster Runoff. Mm-hmm. Of you might know what I'm talking about already. Oh. Of like the performance art chick, like cutting her jeans open at the the gusset at the crotch. 
and then stuffing uh, SpaghettiOs. Yes, I've I've seen it. Yeah, I'd say it's like rotten SpaghettiOs. I don't think she eats them. I think they go straight into they go the, straight into into the... Into, to the southern hole. Aggressively, but not very effectively, shoving handfuls of SpaghettiOs <laughs> into their into their private parts, and and I'm just thinking like, uh, will will Ratat ever be uh, relevant again? Yeah. <laughs> Well, the city, the city is my church. Indeed. So I'll have to pull that one up for a future episode. We'll have to make, make that our shock.jpg for another because I'll have to really. God, I really want to dig into what the hell that was about because I've seen it. And I, I remember specifically that video because it horrified me. Not so much the act itself, but just the, the fact that it's an art installation and the fact that it's like super gross when it comes out. Anyway, that's a whole. Well, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. That's just the only thing I can think of off the top of my head that's right. like remotely similar to what we just watched of all of the gross shock stuff or yeah. horny shock stuff. And so Mochi Agogo Smoothie is what that one's called, by yeah. the way. All right, well, it's that time of the show where after we've digested, as it were... the well, After dis- after we've had our, our puke smoothies... <laughs> well, we're gonna about to have a breath mint because, boy, we're going to need it. So, Brian... What you been up to this week? Not too much. You know, like I said, I've been kind of enjoying the uh, the time off I've had, which I have not been able... I'm good on the drinks there. Thank you, sir. The new season of Big Mouth just okay. popped up on Netflix. If you want a sometimes very funny and sometimes oddly sweet show about poorly drawn children expressing their sexuality or fumbling through the, the pains of growing up. You know, I kind of got a good uh, Coach Steve. Now, how you doing there, Jason? I'm going to tell you something. I once was uh, hooking up with a chick. Oh, no. Well, oh, and, oh, no, or oh, yes, depending on. Okay. Uh, she thought this was great. You all might think otherwise, <laughs> but she loved Big Mouth. Mm-hmm. And she, I did like the coach, Steve. Uh, you've watched the show, right? No. Okay. So, goddamn, there's like, so it's these kids, they're like. I was going to say, yeah, break, break it down for us. What so it's these now? kids, they're like 12 or 13, and they're kind of, you know, they're going through puberty and like the the pains of being their age. One character, uh, sex monsters that teach them like about puberty and like try to direct them, but they're kind of really base and over-sexualized in how they perceive things. Mm-hmm. Nick Kroll plays like the main lead, Nick. You know, it's just really kind of bizarrely uh, vulgar at times. Um, wow. I'm looking through the cast list. You got Nick Kroll. You got John Mulaney, Jason Matsukas, Jordan Peele, Maya Rudolph. What an astounding cast for Jenny Slate. I love her. You got Fred Armisen, Richard Kind, Kat Dennings, Nathan Fillion, Kinta Bronson. Jesus Christ. Yeah, uh, Andy Newton. I mean, yeah. the list goes on. Gina Rodriguez, John Hamm, Jack McBrayer, Zach Galifianakis. Sweet God Almighty, they got yeah. everybody on this show. No, it's quite an impressive roster. I mean, some people are they only probably are in a vocal booth for like sure. ten months per or sure. ten minutes per season. But Just, they're there. But they got them to be yeah, on the show. No, it's, yeah. uh, it's a pretty impressive roster. But yeah. So anyways, I was hooking up with this chick and she thought it was very funny that I could do these voices. <laughs> and I realized I could do another character as I'm going at it. I'm going, hi, I'm Lola. And like was this pathetic character that's like the, the fat girl, but not kind of really. It's yeah. like... Uh, you're not supposed to necessarily hate this character, but you're just kind of like, oh, I wish I wish they weren't like that. 
which uh, I think we probably all knew at least one or two individuals when we were like in middle school where it's like, I don't hate this person, but I can't wait for them not to be shitty. <laughs> I was that person. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe to me, too. Yeah. But uh, I watched a couple episodes today while I was like cleaning the apartment and uh, it was fine. It's fun. Like, I feel like uh, it doesn't it's kind of gotten to the point where like I don't know if it has a right to exist anymore. I think it's on its fourth sixth season? it's sixth. on its sixth season jesus christ and they have a spin-off show the spin-off show is like animated like on fiverr and it's yeah. not it's really bad yeah human resources and human resources it's yeah. it's uh it's it sucks we tried watching like two we got like two episodes in and i'm like i can't i don't hate myself enough to go through this <laughs> well, i can't believe they got they got six seasons man they're just really knocking them out yeah i feel like after like the second or third season it was kind of getting a little long in the tooth but there's just enough good riffs or funny enough situations for a couple episodes per season that you're like well i don't want because there's sometimes there are some pretty good fucking riffs and some good jokes and you may appreciate this i mm. uh watched morbius yesterday ah I had a really time. nice day yesterday i've been uh hanging out with someone who just moved to st louis from uh out west they don't know anything about this terrible city and uh so yesterday we went out we did some St. Louis ass shit. We went to the art museum. <laughs> you go bubblehead uh, hunting. We didn't go bubblehead hunting just yet. Yeah, wait for it to get a little bit nastier out. Yeah, a little colder. A little colder. I mean, scare this this really nice person that wants to spend time with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is just like just like the teenagers of today. Yep. Anyways, but we did the art museum. Walked around Forest Park a little bit, and then like we went to like Ted Drew's. Some real St. Louis ass shit. You know, but it was actually a really nice uh, late afternoon. And then they were like, we need to watch Morbius. I'm like, okay. So we watched it. And what you know is uh, one of those movies that you can most certainly say uh, that it exists. It is certainly a movie. It is yeah. certainly a movie. It has the trappings of a film. <laughs> There's people in it and there is a plot. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know if it is necessarily the terrible movie everyone makes it out to be. No, I have the, the I had the same kind of feeling when when I saw it. I saw it late at night. I was I was half in the bag, so I, I think I was in the right headspace for it. I really like Matt Smith in it because he just plays this real big asshole. Yeah, and he's he's so great at that, and that's the kind of the part he plays in House of Dragon too. He's just kind of a dick, and it's great. There's a lot of stuff in it where you, where you kind of go, okay. But in the end, it, it it still makes for a pretty decent flick. It's enjoyable. It's a it's the special effects on Jared Leo that I think ruined <laughs> the whole fucking movie. I think like the weird kind of smoky ink thing. I yeah, think that looks great. Yeah, yeah. But the the like stuff with his face changing all the fucking time. Mm-hmm. I kind of actually I think that's what ruins the movie for me. I think if it didn't do that. I think it would be a perfectly serviceable film. It would be most certainly better than some of the Iron Man films. Well, like if they if they had done rather than having his face change, have you know one big transformation, and then he's the living vampire, and then you've got you know uh, latex or whatever you know as a as a prosthetic almost would be preferable to whatever the hell they did with with digital stuff on his face sometimes it actually like the shit with like where they had like the stuff with the ears right and there was some transformations between him being the monster to him being normal right some of those transitions were actually done in a really cool way sure. but it's like but it's like him being like no i said i did want tomatoes on my sandwich and it's like face changes you're like this yeah. sucks yeah because like that that kind of thing really only works in like a venom 
Yeah. Where... No, Mom! Yeah. Hot Pockets! I said... Not Bagel Bites! (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just like... Yeah, I get it. It's like just mean basement-dwelling teenager, like, motif. It definitely has some incel vibes in some of his scenes, too. There's just some weird... Some weird red-pilled shit, like... Like, I'm not gonna... Like, I know guys with, like, colosomy bags (laughs) that get hella trim. Yeah. So, like... How okay. can good-looking Jared Leto yeah. with, like, uh, you know, some sort of degenerative condition... A blood disease, Brian. A, a blood disease. An, undis, an unspecific blood disease. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't ever... They don't really go too far into what the blood disease is or what it does. Yeah. yeah it's just, I have a blood disease. All right. <laughs> I have... No, I can't pay you today. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> I have a blood disease. I have a blood disease. Yeah. Hey, that's my sandwich. I have a blood, blood disease. disease. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. So there's there's a speaking of movies, I really dug into I love watching newer horror movies that have kind of a um not necessarily a critical consensus, but like an online consensus. I am yep. a I am a letterboxed addict. Um yeah. so if you if you find me on Letterboxd, of course, just the same as Twitter, it's at video crime. Uh I I watch a lot of movies with the kids, but I also watch a lot of movies by myself out here in in the the glorious man cave, which has a nice projector and all that. And I watched an exceptionally creepy movie, which is streaming on HBO Max right now. It's called Barbarian. Oh, I talked about this last week. Yeah, because I said bad things happen to Justin Long, and I wish every movie with Justin Long in it, bad things happen to him. Okay, well, that must have been why I watched it then, because yes, you're correct. Bad things do happen to Justin Long, and he's completely justified in having that happen to him, not just because he's Justin Long, but also his character in the movie is a piece of shit. So I love it. Um, I really like... There, there's a, there's an old post where it's like, I walked out of my door and fell. Somebody stole my porch. Can't have shit in Detroit. Well, <laughs> that's how I felt about the whole movie. The whole movie takes place in Brightmore, Detroit. About that. <laughs> stole the whole ass porch. <laughs> can't have shit in Detroit. Well, Barbarian is can't have shit in Detroit. The movie, and so yeah. <laughs> well, there's a Eli Roth movie that's also you can't have shit in oh, Detroit. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but yeah, it sets up this really interesting thing where you think Bill Skarsgård's going to be the bad guy in the opening, and I really like that they play with that expectation over and over and over again. But then they drop that like in the first third, and you're like, oh, okay, this is a different movie than I thought it was going to be. Oh shit! And then and then yeah. suddenly it cuts to Justin Long. <laughs> Driving like a very nice vintage Porsche. And- yeah, just a very abrupt and very funny cut, and it's it, that kind of thing keeps happening through the movie yeah, at least two what, other times. What like, I love about that too is that now you're all now you're also like trying to figure out well how does this relate to what we just observed? Yes, because it reminds me of an old MST3K riff where they there would be a really abrupt and seemingly incongruous cut to something that was very different than what had come before, and one of the guys would go. Meanwhile, in a different movie, <laughs> and I found myself saying that three different times in this movie, in, the, in this movie, Barbarian. Mm, go in as blind as you can. It's a hoot. It's a hoot and a half. It's this year's Malignant. Big ups for it. Gotta love I've, it. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, or I did really enjoy it. Um, it. There's a couple moments that kind of dragged a little, but it always paid off. So few. Yeah, it's so so fewer of those than those that made A, 
thematic or plot sense or B kept things moving. So there's, yeah. Um, know. I like, there's more to like about this movie than dislike than probably anything else that's come out in the last 12 months. I think the only other movie that I saw this week that rises to this level of like, I don't even know how to even begin. Like you, your value for the film is, is very, is going to differ because I saw, don't worry, darling. Oh, I've heard about this. So don't worry, darling is a way too long. That's a, that's just a complaint about the film in general. It spends a long time getting you into this fifties theme suburbia world. And then it takes a long time paying off that, that, that paranoia that comes in. But the leads in it are fantastic, with the exception of Harry Styles. Can't act his way out of a paper bag. You're going to have to fight me on that one, but don't care for him. And he's a lead. So that's a big minus in the minus column. I heard, I heard that the Harry Styles is not necessarily a bad actor. He is a bad talker. He's bad in this movie. We'll put it that way. There's a new film coming out called My Policeman, which I understand is actually pretty decent, and he's decent in it. But I will reserve judgment on his skills as an actor. But I will say that for this part in this movie, not the guy to cast. So sure. th- that's, that's where I'm I've at. I've heard that for sure. Yeah. Uh, so Florence Pugh, though. Oh. Uh, Florence Pugh is the lead in the film. Oh, okay. She plays Alice. Okay. Which, of now course... got my attention. Yeah. Florence Pugh, Olivia Wilde. Uh, there's some other really... A, good actresses, and B, some nice eye candy in the movie because the movie really does like to play up this uh, 50s housewife thing. Okay. Um, so all the oh, men... Oh, so it's, we're talking about traditional gender. Return? Ah, it is a return movie. It really is. And what's funny is that the Harry Styles character, spoiler alert, does turn out to be a guy who listens to a podcast voiced by Christopher Pine... That is basically saying we need to return to these tradition. It's it's he's literally a return to tradition incel. You know, I'm not even going to spoil it, but the, the long and short of it is like he he has. It's it's a whole thing. Anyway, I have to really cut the, around this because I'm like trying not to spoil it for you or for the audience. Oh, what's uh? Is this on a streaming service right now? It will be as of the airing of this episode. It will be on HBO Max. Oh, okay, cool. Um, so yeah, it, it it will be on HBO Max. Um, I was uh, lucky enough to get a copy of it as a screener from elsewhere. But what I really like about it, what really draws you in, though, I think is just the visual stuff. That has a lot to do with the fact that it was. Um, director of photography is one of Darren Aronofsky's guys. Oh, okay. So one of his frequently collaborators worked with Olivia Wilde to really get this. There's those repetitive scenes kind of like in Requiem for a Dream. Or they're mm-hmm. not, not quite as fast, but it was still like they make the coffee the same way. I think even um, P.T. Anderson does it in some of his films where there's just a series of quick cuts and it's like someone right. making breakfast, but it's very stylized. And so they're doing this over and over and you're kind of getting this sense of repetition and it's really interesting the way it sets up rhythms, gives you these characters. Don't Worry Darling is a far better movie than you've probably heard. A lot of people shat on it when it came out. I think I even did. I was saying it was a psyop. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying it was a psyop because there was this weird so, press stuff going on around sure. Chris Pine spitting on Harry Styles or whatever. I mean, I would probably spit on Harry Styles I, yeah. as well. That's that's neither here nor there. But it's it's the movie. Uh, anyways, um, so so besides Harry Styles, that maybe the runtime being a little long, it's otherwise a pretty solid. I would flick. watch it. Yeah, it, it's 
you know, by the time you get to the third act, you're ready for it to be over. And unfortunately, it still has like another 15 minutes left. But what's interesting is that I went to see a different movie this summer at the drive-in out in Belleville, Illinois. One of the last drive-ins in this area is a place called the Skyview Drive-In. Skyview mm-hmm. Drive-In. I love it because, A, it's a drive-in, and B, it's close-ish by. And you can bring your own beer. You can bring your own food. Last refuge of the persecuted drunk driver okay, down here at Skyview Drive-In Theater. For those of you who don't get the riff, he's uh, riffing on an old commercial. There was this guy, Fred. He ran a place called Dirt Cheap, and it was the last refuge of the persecuted smoker. He would he, he would talk like this. And <laughs> he you come since... down here, and you can. And Bud families are all sixteen ninety nine per twelve pack of long necks. Reggie Coors is eight ninety nine for an eighteen. Yeah. yeah, and then he got like he sold it, and then opened something yeah. called Fred's Cheapo Depot. Yeah, and, then and he... just didn't have the same ring. No, uh, but um, he also died. So <laughs> he also died. Yeah, I don't like. Uh, the Riverfront Times did a really good uh, post-mortem piece on him and his legacy is like a, a local weirdo and entrepreneur that is, uh, I think, worth checking out still probably. But yeah, the, the last place, the persecuted <laughs> drunk driver. <laughs> so we went to see, uh, what the hell was it called? It was called Warrior Queen. So we were watching that on screen one and then on screen two was Don't Worry Darling. And so during this one movie that was okay, it was fine. I would see, you know, because where we were parked, we had just a little sliver of, of the screen of screen two. And screen two is where they screen all the R-rated movies. Oh. And so a little sliver of screen two. And I would see these shots from Don't Worry Darling. And it was like Harry Styles eating Florence Pugh's pussy. I'm like, I'm craning my head to the left. <laughs> Hoping on, that my on. kids aren't doing the same, you know? Hold on, hold on. I've got <laughs> I this, this very deep and moving film. Hey, <laughs> someone get the pussy ate? Yeah. Hey, uh, what's going on over there? <laughs> hey, hey, you guys look like you're having a lot more fun than me. What's that dog doing? What's that uh, dog doing? <laughs> but then, you know, I'm like, I'd go to the bathroom and I'd see, like, all these old cars driving through the desert. And I'm, I'm rubbernecking again. I'm like, what the fuck is this movie? So I... I had this vision in my head of like what the movie was and it didn't quite live up to it, but it still was really visually interesting. So I just, even if you'd watch it with the sound off, it's a, it's an interesting movie. What's your, uh, movie of the year so far? You think movie of the year? Oh gosh. Is it cliche to say everything everywhere all at once? I haven't seen it, so I can't really say. Yeah. That was one that we kind of missed. I So the two movies I really wanted to see this year and missed were uh, uh, Crimes of the Future oh. and Everywhere at Once or whatever the fuck. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Yeah. Yeah, those are the two movies. And missed them both by, like, I felt like a couple days as far as their theater runs here in St. Louis. Wow. Well, you definitely... Everything, Everywhere is definitely a movie that you, that you should watch. Um, as far as 2022 movies, gosh, it's going to be a hard up between Nope... I was a big fan of Bullet Train. For kids' movies, oh, it's definitely got to be Bad Guys. It's a loop in the third movie, but with the big bad wolf as Lupin. Prey, we talked about that in a previous episode. Prey is up there for me. And probably, yeah, I mean, Doctor Strange was up there. I really, another kids' movie I really like, Turning Red. It's going to be a hard one this year. Boy. Boy, you know what? It's pretty simple for me. Yeah? The Viking. You mean uh, Northman? Northman, Northman, sorry. yeah, 
yeah. I still haven't Jeez. seen that one. Oh, wow. Seen, yeah. it's, uh, it's I phenomenal. love Eggers. I love David Eggers stuff. You put Lighthouse in front of me, and I'll watch the whole goddamn thing. I don't know if it's his um, strongest movie necessarily, but it is his most intense and immersive. I love the fact that he got Bjork to come out of acting retirement for it. That's great. Yeah, she's in it for like all of three minutes, and Doesn't she matter. fucking kills it. Doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah she's great. <laughs> Uh, William, for 20 William Defoe. William Defoe is a is a shaman basically, oh. and uh, this is actually an original idea about the film. But what makes it really appealing is that it's speaking like its own language in a way. This is this is not trying to take uh, North life or mythology or storytelling and trying to put through a modern lens. It feels very much. Uh, tangential maybe is the word in and of itself in of it's, itself, just, it's just a or yeah like it it feels like it's from a different world i love um, that I, I love that yeah i'm i'm much more intrigued to see it now that you've kind of put that frame on it i think it's on amazon oh good oh good because uh boy when i start watching the peripheral i'll switch between the two uh, <laughs> yeah still... i uh it's probably my top recommended movie that i've seen this year okay. um all right I really like it. It doesn't really drag at all, which I felt like it had. And also people were afraid that this was going to be a movie that was going to like uh, embolden white nationalists or something. Yeah, more which, return guys. Yeah, uh, but it doesn't really do that because uh, nice. yeah. the characters in this movie are more driven and stand for things that are, are much more meaningful and deeper and that have a, a, a heavier weight to them than any than any fucking dumbass in a fucking uh, Proud Boy polo uh, stands for. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, come around the end of the year, we're going to have to do this again. We're going to have to think about our movies of 2022, and we'll probably do just a whole movie episode. I know one of our longtime fans, Ken, has talked about, boy, we I love the movie analysis parts of the episode. He, he listens... Real intently when we talk about movies. So maybe towards the end Thank of the year. Thank you, Ken. Thank yeah. you for being such a sweetheart. Big time. So if you uh, have suggestions for us, anything that you want us to see before the end of the year, now would be the time to get those in, courtesy of our various socials, emails, etc., which we're about to give you at the end of the show, which is, of course right now so <laughs> if you want someone's to gotta take a piss uh, no no uh, <laughs> someone's looking at the clock uh, ah, geez. <laughs> ah, geez, i spent all the time in the er i know i got why am i gonna have time to paint my warhammer figurines <laughs> i don't do ah, that jeez i don't do that don't lie to my, don't lie about me i have enough nerdy shit in my life i don't need geez. to add warhammer to it besides his gundam figurines anyway uh <laughs> like you're like a, you're like the guy that remembers Remember when bookmobiles were a thing? Yeah. What happened to that? It's still a thing, asshole. Go away. Well, this is like the bookmobile of threats. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) All the threats you could ever want. Uh, So if you feel like giving us a call, you are feel free to do so at any time. 314-AHOY-POO. That's right. 314-246-9766. 314-246-9766. I may not be able to answer the phone 24-7, but I will catch up with you via voicemail and texts and such. You can text us at that number as well. If you don't feel like texting us, you can hit us up on the email. That's 48minutesofdogsbarking at gmail.com. Brian, where can they find you online? All right. Uh, any junior G-men trying to make <laughs> your way in the world, if you want to uh, 
have me be a part of your plot to uh, well i don't want hey you know it's your job to come to me i'm yeah. not gonna do he's your not job gonna, yeah. for you <laughs> listen you gotta work if you want to eat so you can find me at ishotgdbor um on twitter and uh the old ig that's i-s-h-o-t-g-u-i-d-b-o-r-d if you want to check out my photography you can check out my portfolio at assholemusicphotographer.com and uh jason if they want to send you death threats on twitter oh boy at video crime v-i-d-e-o-c-r-i-m-e and you can also shoot the show a message there at four eight minutes of dogs four eight minutes of dogs is also our address on patreon and i'm posting all of the episodes right now on patreon with the option to uh Throw us a little something every month if you feel like it. For five bucks a month, we'll do dick ratings, <laughs> girlfriend experiences. Uh, we will call and, you. Uh... <laughs> hey, sweetie. I'll have to do my voice training and we'll have to do, hey, sweetie, how was your day? Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Hard yes. day at the dick sucking factory, huh? <laughs> Patreon.com slash four eight minutes of dogs. At the $10 a month tier, you can hear me say vulgar things in my worst Christopher Walken impression. Your your worst Christopher Walken impression or your best one? I, didn't... I, I mean, there's really no difference. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm getting a little better. <laughs> it's still a little Tim Curry, but it works. Come up to the lab and see. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. Boy, the the Halloween episode with Danny. Oh, boy. I've been really like, listen, We Danny's great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Every, you know, everything we do is probably one of our favorite episodes oh, that we've yeah. done so far. But just the whole looking at Danny and doing the Tim Curry, Christopher Walken, and just that poor, that poor man. What a sweetheart. He's been one of my closest friends for nearly a decade. We owe things... him like an edible arrangement or something. <laughs> yeah, just, just, uh, just, he didn't know what he, I don't think he knew what he was coming into. No, I don't think he did either. Particularly when you showed him the gross Ugh. photo. It was just like, what if you, what if you rubbed mutagen on a shag carpet? And made it do fetish photos. So, um, <laughs> speaking of uh, fetish photos, I got nothing. So, <laughs> There was going to be a transition there, but I've lost it. I've just spent the past, you know, uh, most of my day in the fucking ER. So we're gonna we're gonna leave you with a classic from uh, our good friends there at the Promise Ring. I once saw the Promise Ring headline a plea for peace tour. Yeah, it was really weird. It was like Lawrence Arms, Common Rider, International Noise Conspiracy supposed to be on the bill, but their drummer hurt his back in Kansas City the night before. So it went from I shit you not, poison the well. The promise ring. So it's like dudes like fucking doing backflips on stage to like a guy in a denim jacket with a Martin the guitar singing about his feelings. Yep. It was really weird because I remember like looking behind myself <laughs> at, you know, I'm like in, I'm like 16 years old. I'm at Mississippi Nights, right. RIP. I'm looking behind myself and the emo outfit at that point in time was like dark denim blue jeans, yep. a black hoodie. And like chunky eyeglasses. Right. And it was a whole, that's all the people that were left. And I felt like I had gotten, I had like a seizure, a grand mom or something. <laughs> Perfect way to end the show then, if that's how you felt. So, Promise Ring, song called Emergency, Emergency. That about does it for the show. As we always say at this time, namaste, motherfuckers. Bye bye. Bye bye.